Good evening. I say it's good to uh, good to be with you this evening. Um, I understand you've got pencils or pens. Excellent. Because before we start, we are well. We're going to use this in what we're about to do. If you could take one, uh, pass them on. Um, we're going to do an exercise, if we may. Um, this is something that we did with my work. Um, some well, late, uh, last year. Uh, a bit of background: I'm a surveyor, um, so I my uh, profession is property. Um, and um, one of my clients organised um, some training, and this was the activity that they had us to uh, to do to start off with. So we're talking about um, about time, and um, it caused some dispute. So please don't look at anyone else's answers. I want you to write your own answers, and then we can have a look afterwards, okay? So, quite simply, this, we're just talking about time. So, it says at the top, beside each word, write a percentage which you think expresses the amount of time the word means. So, for example, it says often. As a percentage from not happening at all, that should be zero, to happening all the time, it should be 100%. Where does often be as a percentage? Where would you put often? Would you say it's 50% or would you say it's more than that? Or less? How about always? What is always to you? Sometimes. How about never? Where's never as a percentage? Usually? Occasionally. I appreciate that some of these are subjective, but that's the, uh, the fun of it. Occasionally, where would that be? Then you have a lot. Almost always. And lastly, rarely. Have we got percentages down? We have, fantastic. I'll say this was um, an exercise that was uh, done at my work. The point behind it being um, my interpretation of something may not be your interpretation and therefore if I'm delivering something to you, um, we may expect different things. So, would anyone like to throw out a percentage for often? 20%. 20. 70. 70. Oh, so we got 20, 70... Yeah, 90, often, okay, we've got quite a wide variety, immediately, fantastic, always, 99. we've got 100, 99, 90, anyone below 90, yeah, okay, good, sometimes, 30, 10, it's quite low, isn't it, yeah, Sorry? 55. 55. Okay, sometimes. How about never then? Where's the where's never? Zero. Zero? I'm looking at you. Where's zero? Zero. Zero. <laughs> right. Always is 90%, but never is zero. Okay? Okay. Everyone's unanimous with, with never. Zero. Cool. How about a usually? 95%. So you've got 95% as usually, and you've gone always at 90%. We've got a difference. You see what we're looking at here? We've got a difference. Um, where was that? Was that a cake? Was that usually or occasionally? Usually. Usually. So what's occasionally? 
Ten. 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 Thirty-five. Okay. A lot. Thirty-three point three. Thirty-three point three. That sounds like a third. Okay. Almost always. <laughs> and then rarely. Five percent, one percent, two percent. Interesting. Um, that's interesting. You've got differences of opinions, as we had when it was at my work. And I took exception to some of the answers that some of the people gave, as I will do now, if you don't mind. Um, because never, who, we, we all said never was zero. zero. No one said otherwise. They did at my work, which doesn't make sense to me. But if I may, <laughs> how is always less than 100%? Well, through definition, it will be 100 but Always for me, an honest thing, I hope I say always, but I delude myself, so it would never be 100% if I'm always. Right, interesting. There will always be some occasions that it never happens. Right, okay, so you're adding your human up. Right, but the point being, always, by definition, should be 100%. Never, by definition, should be zero. The point was, and it, we, we went on, that the title for this evening is, uh, there, are, there are absolutely no absolutes. And the point being, never is an absolute, it's never, it's zero. Whereas always, excusing the 90%, <laughs> always is 100%. And yet we have this discrepancy, as we do now, we have this discrepancy at my work, and it went on to the discussion that there are no absolutes, <laughs> which I took exception to, and we had a very interesting discussion. Um... Someone you may have heard of, I've mispronounced the name, Frederick Nietzsche said. How do you pronounce it? Nietzsche. Nietzsche, thank you. Well, what does he say? He also said, there are no eternal facts. There are no absolute truths. Went on to say, all truths are a matter of opinion. Because truth is relative to your culture, your history, your language and society. For example, taking the example of a suicide bomber, is it a terrorist or is it the freedom fighter? It may depend on your situation and your circumstance. Are WikiLeaks breaches of national security or actually a good thing because they're whistleblowing bad practice or things that should be exposed? It depends on your perspective is the suggestion. Indeed, the Bible itself, in John 18, what does Pilate say at Jesus' crucifixion, his trial? He says, what is truth? It's all relative. So the statement is, there are no absolute truths, even, well, can you give me an, uh, an absolute, other than never? Are there any absolutes that you want to put out? How about, sorry? We all die. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> well, it's not a good one, but you know what I mean. How black? Sorry. Death and taxes. Death and taxes. I know uh, someone who doesn't actually pay any taxes whatsoever. So no, that's not right. Yes. The point being, um, in black and white, you can argue it's, it's that is white, that is black. They are two distinct. But then you've got varying degrees. Can you get something that's purer than the white that you see before you? There are varying degrees. Male and female. 
I'm sure you've seen it in your press. That can be changed. In today's society, you can change your sex. You can choose. That's blurring. So are there any true absolutes? Today I want to put across simply three absolutes. And these are the three that we're just going to look at. First of all, that God and Jesus are holy. God and Jesus are holy. And yet, Jesus left heaven to become sin for you and I. That's the first one. Secondly, the Trinity was in perfect unison. And yet, it was split for you and I. And then finally, sin separates from God. And it must be judged. And as we remembered with the bread and the wine, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. So the first absolute we'll look at is God and Jesus being holy. Now, it's easy to say that, but how do I prove it? Well, first of all, I must say, everything that I'm going to say is going to be, or the uh, references will be taken from the Bible. Looking at your uh, website, I believe you uh, follow the Bible and looking at a website that was good. In fact, it did refer to um, that I did read absolutely in the in the title of one of your uh, headings, which thought fantastic. I'll come to the right place. Um, so it's not my thoughts. Um, yes, I will be giving my comment, but I want you to be clear: it's from the Bible. It's not me giving you my commentary. So if I asked you before I um, continue, if you were to prove that God or Jesus is holy, what Bible verses would you go to? And please, take that. What Bible verses would you refer to? You may not have the specific reference, but what would you refer to? Anyone got any thoughts? Moses, uh, um, the burning bush. Yep. So they remove your, you know, your issues because you're unholy ground. Absolutely, yep. Well, I said that you're on holy ground. Very good, yep. You've got the visions in the major prophets, I think it's the major prophets, uh, where the cherubim cover their eyes and say, yeah, holy, holy, holy. Excellent. We'll come on to that one very shortly. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, there are various ones that we can look at, but I just want to cover a few verses. If you have your Bibles, please do look at them. Um, as I said uh, earlier on, I, uh, I work with the young people of our church. I tell them they must always bring their Bible to the youth group because we're always going to get the Bible. I want them to be able to open it, find the, the passages. So I make no apologies. We're going to be digging in our Bibles and having a good look around. So first of all, we're going to have a look at actually Genesis chapter 1 to start off with. Let's go right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. This is just one, um, one way to demonstrate that God is holy. We're going to have a look at Genesis and creation. I'm reading from the NIV, I think it's uh, the 84 version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then skipping all the way down to verse 31. And God saw that it all he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. In your own time, reading between. Each day, God looked at what he's made, and it was good. Each day. When he looked at everything he'd made after the sixth day, when he created man, he looked at everything and said it was very good. There was nothing amiss. Everything was right. Everything had its uh, place. There was no purity or disease. In fact, I'm wearing glasses. The reason being, my body is decaying. It is getting old. 
it's deteriorating. It's part of the now order of things. I would argue that wasn't the case at creation. Because when they were created, they were made perfect. Genesis chapter 3 is when uh, they would have the fall. And that's when the curse comes in. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 verses 14 is um, the curse. Uh, the Satan is cursed. Genesis, uh, sorry, verse 16, the woman is cursed. And then verse 17, to that Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. You will produce thorns, thistles for you. You will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you will return. When God created it was good. Man, unfortunately, altered that. And the curse followed. How about Exodus chapter 20? Exodus chapter 20 is what? The summary of? The Ten Commandments. Fantastic. Um, Genesis chapter 1. Sorry, Exodus chapter 1, the first one, is there is only one God. I am God. How about Leviticus? Leviticus, there's so many in Leviticus. Let's have a look at Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 to 45. Leviticus 11, 44 to 45. Reads, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves on the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. God declares himself to be holy. How about um, Moses after the uh, walking through the, through the Red Sea? That's an amazing miracle. Look at that another time. But when they walk through, the people of Israel walk through the Red Sea, um, Moses gave a, a song of deliverance. That's in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15, and I'll just read verse 11. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who among the gods, lowercase g, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Who is like God? He is amazing. And then let's go to uh, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 and you uh, verses 1 to 3. I did this with the young people recently at our church. Uh, we looked at this just very briefly. And um, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. Let's read it first of all. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. We can go into the New Testament. Mary's magnificent in Luke chapter 1. She refers to God as holy. And indeed, this passage in Isaiah, more or less replicated in Revelation chapter 4, where the elders bow down and worship and say God is holy. But what of his son? What of his son? Go into the New Testament, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. 
1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. If God is holy, what about his son? 1 Peter 3.18 reads, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in body, but made alive in the spirit. The righteous for the unrighteous. What does right being, uh, what does the definition of right be? It's to be good or justified or acceptable, to be doing the right thing. By definition, it's the opposite of doing wrong. It's true, it is correct. If I ask a question and it's the wrong answer, I give the wrong answer, I am wrong. That is not the case here. He is righteous. It's far more, more than just having the correct answer. Jesus is correct, right before God. He's pure. He was the one who was only able to uh, to pay the price for us as he said he was the one who died he's the one who was able to meet God's standards another verse where does it refer to Jesus being tempted one of the gospels is fine <laughs> Matthew chapter 4 you can read it Matthew chapter 4 1 to 11 how does Jesus refer every time to uh, one of the temptations it is written fantastic he goes back to the Bible, which is so important, that's why we must get the Bibles out. He goes back and said, It is written. Did he ever falter? Did he ever give in? He didn't. He responded, It is written. And in fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Referring to Jesus, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Jesus, God's Son, is holy. He is pure. That's the first absolute. God, Jesus, are holy as defined by God's word. The second absolute was the Trinity was in perfect unison. Now you may have heard it said that the Trinity is never actually mentioned in the Bible. So if I'm saying everything's from the Bible, how do we, how can I back that up? Um, where would you go if you were going to demonstrate the Trinity, the proof of the Trinity? Any suggestions? Where would you go? Jesus' baptism. Fantastic. Jesus' baptism. I've got that down here somewhere. Jesus, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 3. By all means, please go to it. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptised, so this is Jesus the Son, as soon as he was baptised, he went up out of the water at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In those two verses, you have the Son, Jesus, being baptised. You have the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And then you have God the Father speaking from heaven. Thank you. Brilliant one. You have all three in the one place. Anywhere else, where else would you go to demonstrate the Trinity? The, uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Absolutely. That's down here as well. All the way down here. 
Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on in earth and on sorry, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what names? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three. They're all named. Fantastic. Any others? We have referred to one already. Creation. Creation. Back we go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Because it says that um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here it's God creating. Actually, uh, there's um, a book that I have here. It refers to God creating. The word there is actually plural. I'm no scholar. I'm not going to pretend the fact. I'll read it to you. That'll be the best thing. In this book, it's uh, No God But One. It's a gentleman who was a, um, uh, a Muslim and wanted to seek and understand and actually thought, this is Islam is not the way. And he didn't want to become a Christian. And yet he looked into it and thought, there is only one God. And it wasn't Allah. Uh, these are his words. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the NIV. If we look more closely at the word we translate God, which is Elohim, forgive my uh, pronunciation, we see it is plural. If we translate it literally, it would translate gods, plural. But the reason we do not translate it is that way is because the verb in the sentence is singular. So the word Elohim is plural, but the verse treats it as a singular noun. So in the very first verse of the Bible, we see that in some sense God is plural, but in some sense singular. God is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's all three, and yet somehow separate. An amazing, um, amazing from the first verse of the Bible. God was there at creation. But so too was Jesus. Uh, if you have a look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, back in the New Testament. Colossians 1, 16 reads... For by him, this is referring to Jesus here, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. It wasn't just God who was the creator, Jesus was the creator. He was there at creation. And what of the Holy Spirit? You have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. It says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the uh, surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In Job 33 it says that God has made me. Psalm 104. You send forth your Spirit. They are created. You have God the Father. The Son and the Holy Spirit, all active at creation, the Trinity. We refer to the baptism, and indeed we referred to um, the ascension. All I've done, though, is demonstrate that there are two absolutes so far. The first one, that um, 
Jesus and God are holy. And secondly, that the Trinity form the Godhead and they act in unison. The third absolute that I want to bring before you causes the first two great problems. And this is what really struck me when I was preparing for this. Because the third absolute is that sin separates. Sin separates us from God and the sinner must be judged. Now the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned. If you want an Old Testament reference, you can go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. The Old Testament says each person is a sinner in God's eyes. New Testament, the same thing, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and we'll start at verse 10. As it's written, there's no one who's righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become altogether worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Carry on in verse um, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Old Testament and new. Total unison. All have sinned. Why do you think people actually reject the gospel? Why do you think when presented with the good news of the gospel, why do they, why do they reject it? I think it's because the, when you present the good news of the gospel, you've got to present the fact of there's actually wrong, there's sin, and you deserve to be judged. You have done wrong, as the Bible says. You don't deserve mercy and grace. It's a free gift, but you don't deserve it. And dare I say, I think people don't like to be told that they've done wrong because it means well how can you tell me what I've done wrong why should why should you who are you the judge there seems to be very big changes in today's society it's you can do what is right in your eyes and I can do what's right in my eyes and if I'm not hurting you then leave me alone what does it matter you make the choices for you I'll do the choices for me and that's where it come back to the absolutes there are no absolutes because if it's right for me then it's fine and everything blurs the difficulty with this train of thought is the outcome is chaos because we all have different opinions on things so for example if i say where someone's referred to taxes earlier on and not paying them if i didn't pay my taxes then we'd only be a small amount let's be fair but if we all if lots of us didn't pay our taxes then the this country the system of our government would shut down we would not be able to pay for certain things um what if enough people said that euthanasia is correct is is correct and actually it's okay to kill people when they get above a certain age you're becoming a bit of a problem to us now so well, let's just kill all the old people it's okay because they've, they've done their service and now they're a pain so let's just get rid if enough people think that at some point then no absolutes. Let's go for it. It was mentioned about the Florida shooting. Now it's dreadfully sad this uh, this week. But if there's no absolutes, then what does it matter? Please, I don't mean to be flippant when I say that. But what does it matter if 
and I kill. If there's no absolute, then it doesn't matter. If there's no absolutes, there's no issue. The Bible doesn't say that. That is the opposite of what the Bible says. Sin is simply me putting myself above God. The first command is there is only one God. And as soon as I put myself above God, then I am sinning. I'm doing the wrong thing. Recently did a Bible study where it was referring to dying to self. Now that sounds totally alien. But actually, if you think about it and, and do it, it's actually quite liberating. Problem is, I don't want to because I'm me and I want to do what I want. But if I could die to self and serve Christ, then actually I'm not serving my own interests anymore. I actually want to serve. Instead of me wanting to promote myself, I'm actually wanting to promote God. And the conflict actually goes. The problem is David comes in and he causes the issue. And actually, not this afternoon, God, I want to watch this program instead. I want to do the alternative. It's only God who should be worshipped, not other things, whatever your lowercase God is. It's only God who is pure. And as we refer to the Garden of Eden, it was man who fell. And this is where the judgment comes in, because sin separates. And the Bible does say there is a judgment. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, God is just and righteous. If he doesn't act on sin, he is not just and he is not righteous. If he would allow something that you have done wrong, if it, don't worry about that one, I'll just let that one slide. He suddenly become vague and anything can happen. Jesus, sorry, God has a standard and that is absolute. So how does this third absolute, that sin exists and needs to be judged, how does this impact on the other two? Well, I said at the start, Jesus and God are holy and yet Jesus left heaven for us. As we said, Jesus is God the Son. And yet he left heaven for you and I. It's easy to say this. We've taken bread and wine together. But every now and then I kind of get a glimpse of actually really what that means. And it's only just a fleeting glimpse. But sometimes it's, it's hurtful how much the Lord has done for you and for me. And when I think on it, it's, it's, it's gone again. Because it's uh, perhaps sometimes we can be too... Um, about things and we can just, just do it out of routine and yet this is the reality Jesus left heaven for you and I let's look at it in this way Prince William, he's brought up in royalty, he has servants to do his every command whether it's his washing, ironing whatever it may be that, I could not do that I couldn't walk up to Buckingham Palace and expect to be given that treatment I am not royalty Prince William is. Now, imagine he leaves that and instead he comes to the local Sainsbury's just up the road and he works for you. And when you're uh, doing your shopping, it's Prince William at the till and he's the one who's checking you out. He's the one who's doing that for you. Can you imagine him going on the bus as you do? Can you imagine him doing that? It doesn't make sense. He's royalty. He should not be doing that. Can you see the mirror with what Jesus has done? 
Jesus deserved to be totally worshipped and praised in glory. And yet he left that for you and I. The first absolute was, um, well, we'll go on to that. Philippians chapter 2. This is why I tell my young people to bring the Bibles because they need to be able to find where they're going. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus didn't elevate himself above God. Instead, he was humble. Your attitude, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself for you and for me. God's Son, fully deserving of praise, humbled himself to be rejected. And not just rejected, let's go back a bit, he was born as a baby. He wasn't even just born as a man who could therefore die. He was born as a baby. Now, I, I can't quite get my head around this. God being born and having the confines, not just of human form, but of a baby and having to grow up and learn all these things, it must be, must be so difficult. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an impatient person. I don't like to wait. Imagine being God in the confines of a human body. Yes, he could do miraculous things, but he was truly human. But he went to that cross, and he went to Calvary. Jesus went to the cross and died in our place because as it said our sin needed to be punished heaven is a sorry hell is a real place where those who haven't trusted Christ as saviour will go let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 to 10 I think I've got the wrong reference there. Sorry? Sorry, yes it does indeed, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, the end of verse 10. Uh, and those who wait for the Son of Heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thank you, thank you indeed. There is a judgment. There is an eternity in hell for those who do not have their sins forgiven. By choosing to sin, I separate myself from God, and yet God has a plan of salvation, and that's amazing. That's through Jesus. Jesus on the cross took the punishment that I deserved. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, Jesus was made sin for us. He was made sin for us. This is a holy God made sin for us. And this is the defining point. This is why Jesus left heaven for that purpose. The absolute that Jesus was holy was ripped apart for you and I. Because he was made sin for you and I. Which leads on to the second absolute. The Holy Trinity. The Trinity was in perfect unison. And yet it was split at the cross. We refer to creation when all three were there in 
unison. We refer to Jesus' baptism when they were in unison. The ascension when Jesus referred to all three, perfect unison. And yet when Jesus was on the cross, Matthew chapter 27, Matthew 27 verse 46. We'll read verse 45 as well. From the sixth hour till the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was the deafening response? Silence. There was nothing. He was alone. He was isolated. We sometimes say God had to turn his back. The darkness came across the land. God, Jesus at creation, was the one who put stars into space, who made the sun. He made light, and at his death, there was darkness. And God effectively had to separate himself from his son. The Trinity was split for you and for me, whilst Jesus was paying that price. There was no response. Sin separates. And we've taken the bread and wine, but understand anew, that's the depth of love he has for you. That's how much he's willing to do for you. And that's what he's willing to do for me. It's not a small thing for Jesus to leave heaven. It's not just a click of the fingers and I'll make everything okay again. It took Jesus' death. And those first two absolutes we referred to were split apart for you and for me. So the question is, with that knowledge, what does it matter? What do you, what are you going to do with that? Sin causes separation. If you're a Christian here, so if you're not a Christian here this, morning, this evening, if you don't know Jesus, and I don't know, this is one of the beautiful things about going to a different church, you don't know who you're speaking to necessarily. And so I would say, if you don't know Christ this evening, now is the chance, now is the time to respond. What is the right age to become a Christian? I was seven. Someone in our fellowship was 80-odd. Age, not worried about. Today is the right day to come before God and confess our sins. Today (coughs) is the right day. Jesus wants us to respond to him, to admit that we're a sinner, to believe that he died for us and to confess him as Lord, to put him first in our lives. And that's most difficult, I know. But what if you are a Christian here this evening? Has this talk just been a nice way to spend the evening? I trust that by being reminded of these three absolutes, it will make a difference in our lives this week. Because understand again, sin separates. And yes, we have one who will intercede on our behalf. And I truly believe if we say sorry and repent, we will be forgiven. But that thing that you do, that thing, that program that I watch, that maybe it's not the right thing. The material that I read, the conversation I have at work tomorrow. Is it God honouring? Or actually do we, do you and I need to consider those things? Do we need to consider having taken the bread and the wine, the real cost that that incurs to deal with? How about your use of time? Whether it's Preparing for this evening, preparing for your youth church, is it a rush job just because, oh, I just, I'll just do it? 
or do you pray over it? Do you labour over it for uh, when you're serving God? Because God gave everything for you. How what, what are we willing to give in response? So I would encourage each of us to consider how can we serve God this week.